0: Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves in 2020. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. If you appreciate this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and join us over on Instagram at Atomic Moms. everybody, who is on screens more? <laughs> is that a trick question? Do you guys remember at the beginning of 2020 when I said that my word for the year was reboot? <sighs> well, it seems as though I now need a reboot when it comes to my personal relationship with technology. Now, listen, it's not my fault. My kids are on screens all the time with distance learning. Sometimes I need, uh, I don't know, just an hour to myself to do something else, like record this podcast right now in my kid's closet. And so they'll watch a movie. There's just been a lot of screen action in 2020 as we've all seen our support systems. I'm imagining like it's just, I just see like, poof. Yeah, poof. Support systems went poof. And suddenly, screens became our form, our primary form of connection. And listen, I am so grateful that I get to have Zoom calls with my girlfriends. And oh, I just got to meet my best friend's baby over Zoom. That's insane. we're definitely in an alternate universe now, right? But I'm grateful that it exists and that I could do that. But I also find myself waking up first thing in the morning and grabbing my phone and checking my news feed. I want to know what's going on with politics. I want to know what local schools are closing. I am, you know, really leaning into that addictive jolt of terror. It's my new espresso. And no, it is not a healthy escape. So Tiffany Schlein is here to help me with that today. And in her new book, 24-6, she asks us, you know, what would happen if we decided to put away our cell phones, tablets, and laptops, you know, all things technology? If we just did that one day a week, what would we lose? What could we gain in connection with our families, with our friends, With our own creativity. Tiffany Schlein is an Emmy nominated filmmaker, founder of the Webby Awards, which is the Oscars for the internet. And she's the author of this book that we're celebrating today. It's already a national bestseller, and the paperback is coming out this week. It's called 246: Giving Up Screens One Day a Week to Get More Time, Creativity, and Connection. The book just recently won the Marshall McLuhan Outstanding Book Award. And oh, y'all, okay, so this past February, you know, right before everything shut down, the Museum of Modern Art in New York premiered her one-woman spoken cinema performance, Dear Human. She lectures and performs worldwide on the relationship between technology and humanity. She's won a bazillion awards. You can find out more on our website at thetopofmoments.com and our show notes And she's also featured on NPR's list of best commencement speeches. I have posted that video on our show notes as well. So back when the internet was invented, Tiffany was so hopeful that it could be this incredible world connector. And it's pretty wild because right after I had this conversation with her and read her book... You know, I had become more conscious of the media I was consuming and how it was making me feel. So the other night, I watched 60 Minutes on CBS because they had a segment that was so inspiring. And the title of it was, Could Gene Therapy Cure Sickle Cell Anemia? It was an incredible segment. And the next day on Instagram, I saw that a listener of Atomic Moms posted about her pain, and she hashtagged it, sickle cell anemia. And so I commented on her post how sorry I was that she was in pain. And also, had she had a chance to see that special on 60 Minutes? And she hadn't because she doesn't live in America, so she didn't even know about 60 Minutes. And then I get this direct message
1: back from Angela, the listener, and here's what she says. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I am weeping. Ellie, I just watched the 13-minute CBS segment that you sent me, and... I wept. Like, full-blown, snotty nose, red eyes shaking, weeping. I didn't think I'd see this in my lifetime. Like, I can't describe the joy I felt watching that woman run and do karate. She gets to live, like, live a sickle-free life, and I am beyond happy for her. Knowing that there are 17 people walking this earth that used to have sickle cell and no longer have it is an actual miracle. I didn't realize I had lost so much hope over the last few years as my body had gotten weaker and weaker from this disease. But today, I felt that overwhelming hope. and Thank you so much for sharing that. I probably wouldn't have seen it if not for you.
0: So thank you, Angela, for making my week. That message meant so much to me. She is a Nigerian-Irish mom of one, living life to the fullest in Glasgow, navigating life, love, and motherhood with chronic illness. So everyone listening right now, if you're on Instagram, follow her. Go go, direct message her, like, just how amazing she is. Let's connect through the internet in this beautiful way. So go to at the Angela Burnell. And I will have that link in my show notes as well. Sometimes we can use the internet for good. All right. Now I'm going to share our conversation with Tiffany. It's really, it's going to sound cinema verite (laughs) because we, we wanted you to feel like you were in Tiffany's living room. It's so cute. Her family comes in and out. There's a lot going on for both of us. And I just really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. All right. I'll be right back. Tiffany, thank you so much for coming on Atomic Moms Podcast. I'm
2: so happy to be here.
0: I got to see your puppy. Will you please tell everyone the name of your dog?
2: Yes. Her name is Rosalind Franklin. We call her Rosie for short, but Rosalind Franklin is a woman scientist who was one of the co-discoverers of DNA and she never got enough credit. Most people know. Her. So we, we like having the name of a dog that every opportunity we say, Rosalind Franklin, the scientist.
0: <laughs> so now we've cleared it up. We all will know that trivia. I should make that a giveaway. How about this? I'm going to give away a copy of 24 six on Instagram, <laughs> but you, one copy, but part of entering will be, you have to give us that answer in my direct messages oh, on I Atomic Moms. On Instagram. It'll be that. so fun. Okay. So we are talking about your book, 24 six, the power of unplugging one day a week. Tiffany, will you share with our listeners?
2: What is a technology
0: Shabbat? Yes.
2: So. For the last 10 years, it's almost 11 years now, my family and I, who love technology, I should say, but we turn off all screens from Friday night to Saturday night, and it's changed our lives. And it's it's been the best practice I've ever brought into my life. And we call it our Tech Shabbat. And I should say I'm Jewish, but I, I'm not religious, but I love the idea of a day of rest. And it's really taking this idea that mostly only really observant religious people do, the Sabbath or a day of rest. And I'm saying, it's for everyone, everyone. This is great ancient wisdom that everyone needs to engage with, especially, especially in this time of the pandemic when we're having to be on screens for 10 times more things. It's, it's been 10 times more valuable as a person and as a family during the pandemic.
0: In what ways have your children benefited from being raised in this technology-free home once a week? You
2: know, I think there's so many benefits and they keep on revealing themselves. But I think one of the most stunning moments at the heat of the lockdown in March, when everything was crazy and nothing felt normal, our 17-year-old daughter, we were like going outside for a tech shot. And She said, you know, Tech Shabbats are the only day I don't feel like we're in quarantine. And I thought that was so profound because the way I normally describe it to people, (laughs) you're hearing my puppy now. I'm like, what are you doing? The way I normally describe it to me, it's like the one day I feel very liberated and free. And I think Odessa, our 17-year-old daughter, was articulating that, that she felt free Of responsibilities and homework, you know, she's in her senior year of high school, applying for college, so it's a very stressful year. And you know, we don't allow any homework to be done, and there's no, you know, we have a very social Friday night, I should say. We always invite friends and family over for an outside dinner right now, and a lot of times we invite our girls to invite their friends, families over, which is really lovely. So Friday night is very social, and all the screens are off, and it's incredible. The conversation flows in a totally different way when no one has a phone. And then Saturday is, you know, really a family day. And we do a lot of reading and walking outside and hanging out, sometimes nothing, but it's a much more inward day. I think it's taught, like some of my older daughter, it's really compartmentalizing the stress of high school and schoolwork because my younger daughter is just starting to do that. Wait, I get my husband. It's his birthday. We'll let him get away with it. And my younger daughter, who's 11 is I think it's really taught her how to be resourceful. That I will, there will be sometimes where she'll say, I feel bored and I'm always like, yay, that's the runway to creativity. And, and then she does something incredibly creative. She's so creative. And I think just to let herself see that she doesn't need something else to be entertained. And that's my big concern about this generation is they just, any free second is flipping the screen, the phone, the iPad. Now, I would say they're doing a lot of creative things for sure. But also it's, it's such a time to kind of just be stimulated and overstimulated. And then the need for high level stimulation all the time, I don't think is a good thing. And I think having a day of silence, pockets of silence, uh, more quiet in your life is really important skill to cultivate. And now at 50, which I just turned, I value it so much more. And I, you know, even writing this book, all of the great wisdom practices, because I really went deep on the history of the concept of a day of rest and silence and the inner world that we so often don't have to hear or engage with because we're entertained or stressed out or doing something on the screen. That was a very long answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> no,
0: I love it. I was listening. That's part of your book is listening and connecting. And first of all, I want to say happy belated birthday. Your birthday is a day after mine. I'm April 7th and you're April 8th. And, and sisters. Yeah, and happy birthday to your husband now. Thank and you. for listeners at home who are not watching little clips on my social media, I I am getting a full tour of the home and the family and it's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. We even um,
2: have my puppy Rosalind Franklin like behind me. She looks like a sheepskin rug. Right I there thought there. it was I'm a not. sheepskin rug. <laughs> that is mosey. <laughs> I love
0: it. Big. First of all, I want to ask you about Odessa's friends? Because I'm assuming the parents think, oh, well, this is great, but maybe it would have been easier to introduce this when the children were younger. Mm -hmm. How do you encourage families with older children to break the cycle?
2: Mm -hmm. It's a different conversation than with younger kids. And in fact, in the book, I really break down ways to approach this with different age kids. And we're working on with a hundred families right now that are doing this challenge with me for four weeks in a row because of doing a text box because so much of bringing a ritual into your life is the repetition and the different age kids. I have different strategies. So, but I would say, obviously, if they're younger, you're complete control of the household. And what happens? They don't even know. You're like, today is the no screen day. But I mean, I would make it, I have a lot of ideas in that too. You have to make it really fun So really asking every member of the family, what do you love doing as a family? And then fill the day with that. So the key thing is really framing it as a positive. It's not a punishment. I mean, we use it. We just used it the other night. Sometimes it is a punishment to take the screen away. But this time it is not. It is really creating a dream day for your family. That's very social Friday night. So let's invite their their best friends and their families. Get to know their parents. Make that about the social that they might need. And then on Saturday, it's really about what you value as a family. Like when I grew up, we had family day on Sundays and I just feel like the concept of family day has really evaporated. But to bring that back as a value, like we value as a family spending just one day where we're not with a whole bunch of other people. And we've done it with kids in soccer. We've, We've coordinated ahead of time. I go into that in the book too. It's very simple. I think people forgot how to live without a smartphone, but you can do it. It's like a pencil and a paper, write down the things you have to do and whatever. But mostly it's really about, you know, different kids, you're going to have to present a different way. Like I know when my older daughter was really going to bed later and later, and I just looked up the research on how an extra hour of sleep will lead to a whole better grade. And she's very interested in school and motivated by that. And that seemed to work for her. So every kid's got a different combination of things they're into or reasons and you know your child best but the biggest thing I would say is that parenting so much is modeling behavior and if you say we as a family want to teach you the value of being together without screens what is that like and that is an important skill to cultivate for your future relationships for work for your own inner growth and and as a family the one day I feel so connected I mean you know there's pockets of it throughout the week but it's crazy. We're both working two jobs. Everyone's in school. Everyone's on screens a lot. And then this is this one day that has this protection around it where it's really creating space and love and connection and good food and things that we all love doing for one day where there's not the outside world getting in.
0: I really appreciated listening to your book on Audible because you read it yourself. And yeah, you have really been keeping me company over the past um, several days and there were actually a few strange moments one was you were talking about connection and I thought about the time that my husband was is a screenwriter and we were on set while they were shooting the film due date and Robert Downey jr. was there and I had the chance to meet him and when I made eye contact with him, which is something that comes up again and again with your book I was it was so strange. It was like he was diving into my soul. Like he was so present. And right after I thought Robert Downey Jr., you, it's so weird. The next sentence you mentioned Sherlock Holmes. And I was like, this is so weird. (laughs) And then there was another really wacky moment where I was like taking my dog off his leash And then you said something about Unleashed or something. It was like literally at the exact same moment. And it was just these like weird little moments of synchronicity that make zero sense, but made me feel like you were, your story was so, it was interwoven into my own day. And that's what's also so special about listening to books on tape and about podcasts
2: you're inspiring me. I, I want to listen to more because I've been walking a lot more with. We, we got the puppy, but I think what you're saying is noticing things. And I think right now we're living in such a screen fog where we're, we're most of the time staring at a screen that there's no time to notice those little synchronistic moments. And that when you're listening to a book on tape or you're more present just in general you can notice those beautiful little moments. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find on our tech Shabbats is that I think during the week, like any working mom, you know, do we have food? What's for dinner? Do they have what they need? Do we need to order more, whatever? And then I know when I'm online and this is a very profound feeling, like I can never get enough. Like I'm Mm -hmm. always seeking and searching for like the next stressful news headline or the next email or the next social media notification, or I want to have the shoes that just appeared on the screen that they know I was looking at, but whatever. I'm just like always wanting, wanting, and I'm hungry for more. Mm -hmm. When I turn them off every week, it's so immediate. I'm not hungry for anything and I appreciate everything I already have. And I think that a lot is such an immediate switch every week that I I have my best ideas on Saturday. I'm so present for all those moments you're talking about because I'm, I'm there. I'm not taken away from the moment. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful break from
0: just the striving and the stress. Yeah. I have this compulsion with the podcast where I have to read my guest's book. Like it's, yeah. I have to finish it. Like, I'm so and, glad. That's a and I, it, it feels really important to me, especially with the amount of time and love and energy that the guest puts into the work, like, of course I'm going to do that homework. But my dad, who's about to go out of town for a few weeks, he messaged me and was like, do you want to go for a bike ride? And it's like a gorgeous fall day in Colorado. And I was like, Mm. oh, I have to finish it. And then I was like, Uh wait a minute. This has been Tiffany's message. Take the bike ride with your dad. Like have that connection with him and get in nature And like you share in the book as well, if we take this time, we always make it up. Of course, I was able to finish the book. And I'm so glad that I got the message of the book, which is connect with your family. Like, this is your opportunity. This is your chance. We only have this time. And like, how can we be intentional with it? I know that family lineage is really important to you. and. You've mentioned in other interviews that you've gotten closer to your father since he passed away. And I'm wondering how so.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I'm now 11 years from him passing away and we were best friends. We talked every day and we were just incredibly close. And I just feel like he's with me all the time. (laughs) I I keep thinking, what would he think about what's going on in this country? I mean, I think his, I feel so fortunate that I got, you know, 39 years of him and he loved in such a beautiful way. I, you know, there, there was nothing left unsaid and I know that's so rare and fortunate, but you know, his ideals and his wisdom and, the moments he enjoyed, I just, I enjoyed them for him or through him, or I don't even know what it is. And sometimes even in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, you would have loved that. And then I just think he's kind of just ever present now. And you know, the first, the first like six months to a year are very raw and painful when you lose someone that close, but now it's like this, he's every. <laughs> He's everywhere. And, and you know, a lot of people, it's really great because he was a writer too. And a lot of people reach out to me on social media. I, I actually, I have a, a Google alert on his name and I, <laughs> I search because a lot of people write articles about his books, or I just search for him on Twitter or on Instagram and I will retweet it. And I'm like, he would love this or whatever. And I've met so many amazing people that through them reading his work. It's it's actually a wonderful thing about, you know, there's so many things that I can't, that I don't think are good about social media, but there's so many beautiful things. Like I feel like I'm keeping his ideas alive and I'm connecting with people that really loved his work. And then through my book, I I do tell the story of losing my dad because I think losing someone so close really makes you just look at your life. And I started doing text bots when I, I lost my dad to brain cancer and Ken's and my daughter was born within days of each other. And it was such a dramatic series of events to happen. And I was like, whoa, I don't like the way I'm living. And I might die any day. Who knows? And I want to be present for this life. And that's when we started doing texture bots. And interestingly, I think the pandemic has been a, seri- a similar moment for everyone of like, oh my gosh, we could die. How are we living? Were we moving around too fast? I mean, my husband and I used to travel all the time for work. I was giving talks. He was giving talks. And we never actually could have had a dog. And since the pandemic, we've been together as a family for seven months. We got a puppy who we're madly in love with. And so I don't. I think I didn't was, know it. I did not know it was a new family member. Oh, it is a new. It's a pandemic puppy right over here. <laughs> so it's definitely. I think it's changed the way we lived again. Mm. So my dad's death, death changed the way we live, and the pandemic completely mm. changed the way I live, and so many people live. And so I think it's a real opportunities.
0: Well, I, I have a couple questions about that in a moment, but first you mentioned the connectivity and I, I want to ask you about your background because you're an internet pioneer. You're the founder of the Webby Awards. And it's weird to call you an internet pioneer because you're so young. Like <laughs> it's really weird to think about the fact that the internet hasn't been around that long, that you were there at the beginning because you just turned 50 and yet you were a part of. All the action. And, you know, again, you're the founder of the Webby Awards, which is like the Oscars for the internet. And so, in its infancy, the internet held all the wonder and promise of global connectivity in the ways that a baby can connect generations. And it can, you know, you go to the grocery store with your new baby, and like this woman you've never met is exuding all this love. And it feels like you can really connect with strangers. But now, 20-odd years later, like, is this baby now an aggro teenager who won't get out of his room? Like, does he need to go to reform school? Like, what are your thoughts on your
2: internet baby that you helped raise? (laughs) Yeah, no, I do think about that. Actually, the one other book I wrote, which it was called, it's a TED book for the TED conference, and it was called Brain Power. And I was comparing the growth of a child's brain to the internet, because they're very similar. And I made this film called Brain Power that the book came from, it's like 10 minutes, and it's all about, because i made a lot of films about neuroscience, and the growth of a baby's brain is so exponential, and same with the internet. And I think that what I would say is that there are parts of the Brain, if we use that analogy, the internet brain that we're strengthening, which are impulse, impulsive, the amygdala, like the stressful news. Like I remember this weekend, I looked at the news like mm-hmm. not on about, but on Sunday, like twelve times. Did I need to look at it twelve times? Like I was just stressing myself out, and the impulsive nature of it is just making you want to go online all the time. So that is not the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex in your brain is what makes you pause and think and reflect, and we're not developing that part. So there's something in your body called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is why um, volunteering is good or having a friend conversation is good or resting well. They call it friend and be friend, rest and digest. It's all the qualities that make you calm down and be more reflective. And there's none of that on the internet. So I'm actually working on an essay talking about what we need to do in this next phase. Because you're right, it's like a teenager that has all amygdala, all impulsive, and there's no prefrontal cortex that gives you the pause. That like don't send that email, don't retweet that before you read the article. Don't just wait a second, think about what you're thinking, feeling. And I I have my, my best thoughts on Saturday. About bigger picture ideas or reflection. And I think it's just because I have the space to have the thought right now. We're not like on, on the one hand, it's so exciting to be online because you can, you know, hear so many different people's perspectives and you have so much access all the time, but you have to make space for your own mind and your own thoughts to process. And right now we're not doing that. We're not teaching our kids to do that. And I feel like we are at an inflection point where if we just keep on going at the rate that we're going and don't put some boundaries, then we are going to lose this aspect of ourselves. I'm sure that
0: you saw the new Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and everyone go watch it. Although it is sort of ironic that at the end of the movie, Netflix immediately tells you what's the next thing you should watch, which totally. is like so I mean, scary. so
2: many ironies there. I know. know. (laughs) And what did you you get was the takeaway? That was my other kind of,
0: yeah. Okay. So here's where it shook me up. And it was very interesting to watch it right before reading your book because I had never heard of Jaron Lanier and he's a computer scientist that you quote in your book as well. And this is a great quote from his TED talk that you share. So I'm going to read it. And it's, we cannot have a society where when two people wish to communicate, the only way it can happen is if it's financed by a third person who wishes to manipulate them. So I have so many different thoughts on that. But if I'm going to try to stay focused, I guess my big takeaway from watching that documentary was, like, I I knew that the ads were shaped for me. I do think my phone is listening to me and it's really creepy. If I talk about something with someone, then suddenly that ad pops up, which is so bizarre on Instagram. I definitely have been buying things off of Instagram (laughs) from the ads.
2: I do too. And
0: I guess one thing I didn't realize how, like how it's all really being tracked. I didn't understand the complexity of giving away my data i didn't understand that they know every time i'm on or off and and again this idea that we are being trained to need more of it and that the the bad things in the world are sort of what get shared again and again because of our reactions, because going back to what you're saying about the parasympathetic nervous system, like that's not the place to make money. Like when, when we're in the parasympathetic nervous system, you're not turning on the news every 10 minutes to see what happens so that they can sell ads. And so I think that was my big takeaway from that. And, and just to be introduced to Jaron Lanier's work and then to see it again in your work was very cool. I want to ask, well, I want to ask you your thoughts on the documentary, but I also want to ask you about that Jaron Lanier quote, how does one find funding? Like, how do you find funding for yeah, your documentaries no, sure. in ways where you're not being manipulated by these advertisers?
2: Yes. Um, you know, I have a nonprofit film studio and, and I've been doing a newsletter for like 25 years called Breakfast at Tiffany's and I've never had advertisers on there. And I've had so many different funding models. I mean, we've done original series where somebody given us a big check to do a series. We've also mostly just like raised money from foundations and donors. So we don't have to have advertisers, but you know, if it was a right advertiser that I aligned with, I would okay right. with that. And that's just hard. I remember once <laughs> I tell you some company was like, we want you to do branded content, which I don't think I would ever do. It was so wrong for me. I just kind of laughed. I was like, no, there's no way I would ever do that because it it doesn't align with me. But the business model... Okay, you mentioned Netflix. So Netflix is a paid subscriber business model. So you pay a certain amount a month and you get all these films, but they do feed the next film to you, which is a whole other topic because YouTube does that too. And a lot of times the more sensational sensational videos get up for play on YouTube because those are clicked more. So that's strengthening that impulse and amygdala sensational part of this internet brain. The white supremacists love it. Yeah, so I think that, you know, as a nonprofit documentary filmmaker, this is always the question, like we're just about to finish this election film. It's like, who, you know, we're going to go to someone for funding to help get it out. It's a nonpartisan film because we're a 501c3. So these are, these are really imp- important questions. But I think going back to the internet, we are so expect everything for free. I love the kind of tipping model that never really took off, but like micropayments. Because the truth is, is that I would pay a small amount of money for a lot of things. Right now you have the big monthly subscriptions and I, not big, but you know, the Netflix. And, but there's so many things that we expect now for free. Films, podcasts, articles, and what if it was like little micro payments? So at the end, maybe you're paying like forty dollars a month to pay artists and writers and podcasters for this important content they make. But the model right now is all advertisement based, so it looks like it's free, but you're the product you're for sale. your thoughts are for sale and you're being manipulated so until we change that business model, it's, we're in for it. And that's why every week to Unplug, I feel like I, I remove myself from the, mm-hmm. of the network and I get my own brain back and my own perspective back. And, I, and then I go back in and I try to have like a renewed sense of how to use it. What do I need to dial down? How do I use it for good? But I, I only get that perspective on Saturdays.
0: No, I, yeah. And I think that, you know, listening to you, you mentioned the news in the book as well. And I was on my phone and I deleted the New York Times app, which was like so huge for
2: me. How'd it go?
0: (laughs) Well, it went pretty well. I had one breaking point. And again, for listeners, we are recording this. President Trump went home or went back to the White House, went home. Okay, I'm going to try to stop myself. I also have to ask you how you make a nonpartisan election documentary. But anyway.
2: (laughs) It's a a film to try to inspire people to vote. But okay. I do on what's been going on. I'll show okay. you. Okay, I can't wait. But I so
0: so everyone Trump just went back to the White House, and there was a lot of like you know, is he going home? Is he not going home? And sure, sure. I just had to keep refreshing the feed, and you're constantly trying to find out like who's the next person, all the palace intrigue of who's coming down with this next, and it feels so Shakespearean and bizarre and totally addictive, and it makes me even talking about it now. I'm like my sure. arms are getting. Tingly, yeah, yeah. yeah. like oh, I'm forget parasympathetic nervous system. I am back in my sympathetic. Yeah. I am like charged <laughs> up. I, you know, it be, the New York Times app became almost like my shot of espresso first thing in the morning because it's yeah. like this jolt. But it's not. I know it's not good for me, but for some Uh-oh. reason I needed. And everyone knows it's not good for them. And yeah. I can't hide behind this idea that I need to just stay informed because checking
2: 50 times a day is not staying informed. No, and it's so not, it's making yourself crazy. And, and I do all these interventions that I talk about in my book, 24 six, the other six days and one of them. So yeah, if, give
0: them to us, give us these interventions.
2: Okay, the big one about the New York times app, because for you, even like, I'm going to dial back before 2016 election. And right after the 2016 election, when Trump first got elected, I was so stressed out. Every day I would turn over in my bed and I'd look at the New York Times app and immediately he would do something that would make me crazy and ruin my mood for the morning. And I was like, whoa, I am letting Trump dictate my day. I'm not doing that. So I got something called a five minute journal. And I have to tell you, I am a big journal writer, but this is for people that don't even like to write in your journal, but all it asks, it's so wonderful it's like my intervention to not look at my phone. So I do use my phone for as an alarm clock because that just works, mm-hmm. but it's on airplane mode and it wakes me up. Although during the pandemic, I'm trying to sleep until I wake up as my brother, the wow. doctor, says it's really good for your immune system. But anyways, so I wake up and I don't look at my phone. I go down to make coffee and I pull out my five minute journal and it has like three lines in it. It says, what are you grateful for? And I always try to make them very different because they, there's gratitude research that shows that writing about what you're grateful for is amazing for your, your mood, your sense of well being. but you shouldn't be general, like my health, my home. You need to be really specific, like specifically this, 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 and then you'll never repeat yourself and you're constantly noticing new things to be grateful for. And then it says, what are three things that would make today great? And I have to think about my day. What do I have? It makes me like set an intention for the day. And that took like 15 minutes. And then I look at my phone and I'll tell you just by setting the tone by my own, what I'm thinking about, what I dreamt about, what I'm hoping for the day is so different. And at the end of the day, I go back to it and it says, what are three amazing things that happened today? And they're often very different than what I thought was going to be amazing, which I love. And then it says, what's one thing you wish you did differently? So some reflection, I'm sure all the parents out there, there's always something as a parent we're like, ah, I should have said that. I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) So a little bit of reflection. So I do that every day. And, and then really on Saturday, my day without screens, I write a ton. Before the kids have gotten up, I get up early and I think about all the things I'm wrestling with, all my hopes, all the things that went well, all the things that made me laugh, any film ideas for films, things that, you know, all the stuff I could write for hours. I usually write literally for hours in the morning before people wake up. And I specifically get up very early so that I can be there for them when they do get up. But That's like something I do the other six days. And we also, you know, we do no screens at the dinner table. I mean, there's all these like little things Mm -hmm. that we do that have been really helpful that I go into in detail in in the book because they're like interventions to me. I have a question that isn't,
0: you know, this book is such an incredible resource. Uh, I really love that how you share your personal stories and also give us tools to be able to apply this in our own lives. You've, you mentioned that you love journaling, that it's a tool that you've used for a really long time. And I'd love some personal help on that front because whenever I've had a journal in the past, I get caught up in this idea that someone will read it someday. Yeah. I have a really hard time with the audience. Like I can't figure out who my audience
2: is for my journal. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great, well, first of all, I really recommend... The five minute journal, because okay. it's, I, I thought what you were going to say is that you start, but then you don't keep it going. Well, that um, happens too, but because yeah, I can't I figure of- out my audience. <laughs> That's such a great question. I know I really try to not think about who I'm writing for. I'm really trying to write to myself. I really would just advise you to try to just write thinking. Of you what know me. what?
0: Yeah. Okay. And now I realize why I have that thing, and it's because I used to visit my great aunt Ida, who was 104 when she died. Oh, wow. And she had these amazing journals from her years when they sold their house when in the 70s, and they lived in a van throughout Europe and in Africa. And so w- she lost her eyesight in her later years, and I would try to read to her. These journal entries, and they're so cool. And she would remember things. But I was frustrated because I wanted more details (laughs) because it was so – because it's like now it's gone, right? Because she would just make these little markings for herself about like what she bought at the market that day and who she saw on the beach. But I wanted the whole narrative. And so I think when I sit down to write a journal, this is so insane, but I like put the pressure on myself so that – no, It'll be retold strange.
2: to me. I think I would say, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, I'm a big archivist. So I I, not. I actually said my, my older daughter, because I always write in, in my Saturday journal, I write the things that made me laugh that week. Mm-hmm. I, my husband always makes me laugh. And I just love reading. You forget what made you laugh. And my husband always makes me laugh. And I love to reread what made me laugh. So I have a little section in my journal that's like beautiful moments that happened that week, just like those perfect moments that were like great. And my daughter said, when you're on your deathbed, I'm just going to reread you all the things that made you laugh and all the perfect moments. I'm like, that's exactly how I want to die. <laughs> that's what uh, I, read I about. love that. That's but so good. Time, I think instead of thinking, maybe if you were driven that way of like the perfect like the moments that were just like, oh, that was such a great moment with your husband, mm-hmm. your kids, your dog and nature, your dad. That's what you'll want to remember, right? So I hear you though, know, cause I, you know, I just gave my younger daughter the book. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. I don't know if you ever read it, but it was like, oh, yeah. Bloom was I favorite. mean, it was scandalous. <laughs> yeah, it was scandalous. But she was writing in a journal, right? And that whole idea of what do you write in a journal? And I, when I was younger, like in my teens and early 20s, I used to only write in my journal when I was depressed.
0: Me too. Oh, that's the other thing I think. It's yeah. like I have some real doozies
2: from middle yeah, school. It would feel like you were just this dep- you know, depressed all the time. So when I was in my mid-20s, I really made an effort to really put a lot of joy in them, the things that made me happy and laugh. And that was a big breakthrough in journaling because it's like self therapy. I mean, I also, every week, I do something that I'm worried about. And usually, if I go back five years, 10 years, a year, the thing I was worried about probably didn't happen. And that's a really good thing to see again and again and again that you're probably worrying. My dad used to always say this you know, the, what is it? It's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Like, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. that just that perspective on your own life. And my mom's a psychologist and she does a lot of journaling. And I think it it just allows you to live life twice. That's what Anais Nin, the writer said. So I think you get to relive your best moments.
1: That's so
0: great. Thank you so much for this conversation. You have so much to do. We're, you're about to re-release your book. It, it's now going to be in paperback, which I love. I love paperback. Like, I know, you can you take it with you back. everywhere. It's like, it's so good. Um, but you can also go ahead and listen on Audible. And uh, obviously you can get the book wherever books are sold, you know, obviously Amazon. But I encourage you to seek out your independent bookshop, a lot of them are doing drop offs so you can order the book and they can have it for you at the door. So I encourage that.
2: That's a great
0: and question. Tiffany, where can everyone find you?
2: Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I love this conversation. I wish we were in the same city because I think we'd hang out and we'll, here's we'll have to I say, I say hi. This is Bluma. Hi, we're matching. we're matching That was Oh, I,
0: all the we're lilac, it's gorgeous. That.
2: I got Rosie. Yeah, Rosie's oh like to do. Um, <laughs> okay. Lemma wants to make sure you really see Rosie. Oh, there she is. Oh my gosh.
0: Look at your sweet family.
2: It's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> I love her so much. Okay, you can find me at tiffanychlane.com. is my site. No C in my last name, so just S H L A I N. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and I do a newsletter, so you can sign up for that at tiffanychlane.com and all my films.
0: One last question. What other female documentarians, who should we follow? Like what's another woman who's in documentary filmmaking who is making a splash that we need to spend some energy on
2: and seek out their work? That's such a good question. Well, hmm, I'll be partisan here because friggin' why not? But I'm part of a group called Artists for Biden-Harris and they're on social media and a lot of filmmakers are putting out a lot of artists and filmmakers. I think if you follow that hashtag, you're going to see a lot of amazing documentarians because we're all kind of leading up to the election.
0: So cool. Thank you so
2: much. Oh, so great to talk to you, Ellie. And this was just a total pleasure.
0: Okay, everybody, you can always find us on Instagram at Atomic Moms. Oh, and we have our giveaway. So October 28th, I'm going to post that giveaway on Instagram that we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. I cannot wait to give a listener a copy of 24-6. I also want to give a special thanks to Jennifer Traig. She's a previous Atomic Moms guest. You remember our conversation about her book, Act Natural, A Cultural History of Misadventures in Parenting. And so thank you, Jennifer, for connecting Tiffany and me and making this episode possible. Also, everyone, I want to remind you, go follow Angela at the Angela Burnell on Instagram. And again, I'll have that in my show notes. And if always, thank you, Owen (laughs) O'Neill. I have been putting him through the ringer. Uh, not being in a podcast studio. Owen, I appreciate you. All these moms around the world appreciate you. Thank you for all you do to make this show listenable. <laughs> I'm really losing it on the floor of my kid's closet right now. Um, I guess that's it, everyone. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on. Atomic Moms.